Good morning, Life Church. How are you? I am going to be preaching today. Chip is wrapped in bubble wrap. He's in a closet. He's not coming today, so I'm going to preach. Hold on to your hats. Um, we're in the middle of a, a series called The God Questions. It is um, last couple of weeks we've looked at questions um, about God, <laughs> the God questions, and last week we looked at a question about Christianity. But today, we're going to turn things around and we're going to have a question that God asks us. But first, let me start with this. I am a huge fan, this may come as no surprise, of live theater. Um, love performing in live theater, but I love going as a guest. <clears throat> um, I love sitting in the audience, uh, packed, reading the playbill. There's uh, the anticipation of what you're about to see. This sounds weird. I just feel like there's something magical in that moment, uh, especially when the lights start going down and there's a hush that falls over the audience. And right before the curtain opens, there is an incredible anticipation about what we're about to see. Because it can be anything. I mean, I could have seen Hamlet five times, but I've never seen this Hamlet. It can be anything when that curtain opens. It's an amazing journey because what you may not realize when you go into live theater, or even a movie theater, but more so live theater, when you tear that ticket and you go and you sit down, you are voluntarily suspending your disbelief. You are doing this, you are sitting there in a live theater saying, I am willing to go where you go. When that curtain opens, my imagination is going to go. And I am all in. I love it. Um, but as with live theater, and this is the beautiful thing about it, when the curtain opens, as P.T. Barnum said, the show, say it with me, must go on. And with live theater, anything can happen. That's the exciting thing. Sometimes glass breaks, sometimes an actor can miss a cue or whatever, and you have to make it up. The story has to get told. Here's a true story. A couple of years ago um, on Broadway, with the Lion King production, there was the actor who was playing Simba, and they were moments away from curtain. And the audience was filling the house. The orchestra was warming up. People were getting last looks backstage, getting makeup on. And the actor who was playing Simba was out on stage warming up. Of course, with the curtain closed, but he was warming up. And suddenly, he hurts himself. So he can't go on that night. No problem. That's why we have understudies. An understudy is an actor who's trained in that role, who is prepared to go on if an actor's sick or hurts himself. But that particular night, the actor who was the understudy was sick. So now <laughs> we go on to the second understudy. In Broadway, it's not uncommon for lead roles to have more than one understudy. Thankfully, there was two understudies. Now, the amazing thing about this is the second understudy very rarely ever gets to go on. So this was his moment. He was already imagining the call that he was going to make to Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and tell his parents, you'll never believe what happened. So moments away from curtain opening, this guy gets the call. He's there already. He runs out on stage, starts warming up, and he turns an ankle. So now the pucker factor, pucker factor goes way up. There's no Simba. The, sh the curtain is about to open. But thankfully, this character of Simba doesn't come in until later in the first act. So the stage manager thinks there is a guy down the street in another Broadway production 
who has done Simba before a couple of years ago. So they make the call down the street. They start the Lion King production there. The guy comes running up Broadway. His understudy steps in for him, and the show is moving on Broadway or on in the Lion King. He comes in backstage, dresses, makeup, goes on. The show happens. Anything can happen. And what you may not be aware of, theatrical shows absolutely have to have a stage manager. That show only got only happened because of the stage manager. If you're not aware of um, what happens with theatrical shows, uh, a director usually will, well, no director does, um, direct the show all the way through rehearsal and then um, opening night. He will see the show, he or she will see the show as the director, and then they will leave. They're on to the next production, and he turns over the authority to the stage manager. And the stage manager has all the power from then on, and you need someone doing this. Because, I'm going to tell you a little secret, because you may be wondering, why do you need a stage manager? The actors have been doing the show for now for a couple of months in rehearsal. They know when to come on and come off. Here's the secret. Actors left to their own devices will destroy a show. <laughs> it's true. Forgotten lines, missed cues, missed entrances, it will happen. So you need somebody that's outside of the show, looking at the show, and making sure that the show carries on, or the story is told. Now, um, as an actor, when you're on stage, you have no idea what's going on behind the set. There's a whole different circus going on behind there. You have no idea because you're in the moment and you don't know that the butler who is just about to enter has torn his pants. Well, the stage manager knows and he's on top of it. Or that the maid who is going to come on in a page and a half, she can't find her feather duster. Stage manager knows and he's working on it. The stage manager is spinning a lot of plates to keep the show working. Somebody needs to be outside of the show. Somebody needs to be in control. And that's why a stage manager sits all the way in the back of the house and behind the audience so he can get a full view of the stage. Or with a lot of Broadway productions, um, they will be actually be backstage watching a monitor so they can see everything. And a stage manager has in front of them what's called a prompt book. It is the entire script, of course, all the director's notes, Every, act, or every actor entrance and exit, and every sound cue, every light cue, every music cue, every single thing is prompted by the stage manager. That is a given. It has to happen. They are a lifeline for the actor. Now, stay with me for a second. Changing gears. If I were to ask you, what is the greatest fear of most people, you would tell me, the in-laws. Right? <laughs> no. The greatest, the greatest fear of most people is public speaking. Right? In fact, most people would say that dying comes beneath being in front of people. Or as Jerry Seinfeld says, at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than the one giving the eulogy. <laughs> That's true. But no matter how you feel about being in front of people, you have been cast when you were born in the greatest story ever told. You have. And you haven't just been fallen into the role. You have been hand-selected to do a part 
at this moment in the story, there is no random, there is no accidental. You are not an accident. You have been placed in the story at this moment. The question is, how involved with the story do you want to be? That's the question for all of us. Now, in this life, obviously, we don't have a prompt book in front of us. We have no idea what's happening most of the time. This is incredibly frustrating. But what we do have in front of us, we have this handy little thing. Or the Holy Bible. This baby. Of course, now this thing doesn't tell us anything about what our lines are, what my specific storyline is. All I know is, all I know is, I have a pretty good idea of where the story is going to go. And there are some vague aspects in here. But for the most part, there's a reason why the writer doesn't tell me my lines. Because he wants me to trust his character. He wants me to read this book and trust that he loves me. Trust that I have been hand-selected. Psalm 139 says that he knew me before I was born. And that he created me in my mother's womb. And that every single moment of my life has already been written out before any one of them has been lived. So the script of my life has already been written. But I don't have that. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. But what he does do is he gives us his character. And he also gives us players, people that have gone before us in the story, that we can look at and we can see how God dealt with them. It's a big help. Now, one other thing I notice, or you will notice when you look at the Bible, is how invested in the story this stage manager of ours is, and how often he's asking people to get involved. God could do this himself, but he's constantly asking people to get involved in the story. I'm a uh, I'm curious, when I read the Bible, about how often God gets involved in the story or how, how he doesn't get involved in places I think he should. See, in a real production, you never see the stage manager, but you always know that he's behind the scenes working because the story, that's his primary responsibility, is I'm going to get this story told and I'll do whatever it takes. In a worst-case scenario, the stage manager will come on stage and play a part if he actually has to. But you'll never see the stage manager. But in God's story, you constantly see his involvement coming out from behind the curtain from time to time. And you see when the story is going off the rails, God will step in and move the story back to where it has to go, just like with Noah. And then you see him introduce lead characters. Like in the early part of the story, he'll introduce the leads like Abraham and Moses. But these two guys who had a huge part in the story in the beginning, are tentpole characters. They, they are the, everything swirls around the leads, but not everyone plays the lead. And that doesn't mean that any role that people play in the Bible that aren't leads or people play now are less important. It isn't. How about the role of Rahab? Remember her? Rahab was the prostitute living in Jericho when the two Israelite spies came to look at Jericho before they were going to take the city. And God came to Rahab and said, I want you to get involved in this story. And Rahab very well could have said, no, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to risk my life. But she did. And God uh, saved her family and remembered her 
forever as we continue to talk about her. How about Esther? She had a bigger part. God came to her and invited her into the story. But hers was a little bit bigger of a role, and she could very well have said no because she had a very uh, a moment of looking down the barrel of a gun as she had to decide whether she was going to make the, role, or make the stand that she was going to make. But God whispered to her through her cousin Mordecai and said, as he says to all of us, this moment is why you were born. You were born for this moment. Every single one of us, every single one of us, no matter what your circumstances are in the natural, how you came to be, whether you were adopted, whether you were an orphan, whatever it is, you were not a mistake or an accident. God is inviting you to get involved with the story now, today. There is a role that you are playing that has never been played before. Never in, light, in, in all of eternity. And it is our great honor and privilege to get involved in the story. Uh, many people I have run into, believe it or not, uh, I have run across Christians who believe that when the Bible was written and finished, that God kind of stepped away from the wheel and left us. <laughs> their, their rationale is the Bible should be everything we need. And God is not entering our lives anymore like he did back then. And granted, things are different. He's not doing some of the wow miracles that we saw back then. But the Holy Spirit is now living inside of us. They didn't have that back then. But God is no less invested in this story than when the Israelites were walking across the desert thousands of years ago. God is still entering the story, and he's still doing it uh, today. And he's still doing it here, right here in this moment. And he is still wanting to involve you and me. In Revelations 4, there is a Bible verse that most of us attest to salvation. But if you listen closely when I read this, listen to it now as an invitation to get involved in the story. Listen to Revelation 4. It says this. This is Jesus talking. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Now, we're hearing his voice. You and I, if you are a child of God, you're hearing him speak to you. You are. The question is, what happens after you hear? What's happening from there? Because he is knocking. He's knocking at your door and mine every day and asking you to get involved in the story. If you're on the fence about whether you really believe if uh, God is still involved like he was years ago, listen to Hebrews 13.2. It says this, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some of you have done this, or for some who have done this have entertained angels without even realizing it. That homeless guy you had a conversation with on the street? That family you gave a ride to that were standing out in the pouring rain? or that you fed across town that you never knew about, and somehow they, you uh, were told that they needed some food? Who knows? God is still stepping out from behind the curtain. He is still involving himself, and he's still invested in the story. Now, how does it 
you know when God is asking you to get involved. You know it, and I'm going to tell you that you may not really realize it, but every time that your heart gets convicted or something moves you when you hear about a story or a situation or a person in need, and there's something that happens in your heart, that's Jesus knocking on your door, and knocking on your door saying, would you get involved? Anytime we hear something uh, uh, or see a story, that's Jesus. Have you ever told a story uh, of something that was very intimate to you, uh, or that meant a lot to you, and told it to a friend, and it wasn't received very well? Either they were on their phone a lot, or they didn't, weren't really paying attention, or they said, oh, okay, yeah, great. So you want to go and see that movie? After you just open your heart to them. How does that make you feel? On the other side, how does it make you feel when you share something incredibly intimate to somebody, something that's very important to you and special to you, and they are dialed in and you have their full attention? In the same way, when Jesus shares his heart with us, no matter how small in that moment, and asks us to get involved in whatever way he's asking, and we say no, or I'm too busy, or we brush it off, how do you think that makes him feel when he opens up his heart? Remember that Jesus doesn't speak to hear himself speak. He's not talking to fill the air, and he never asks questions to, because he doesn't know the answer. Jesus is speaking because he's sharing something. We're in the middle of a, a series called The God Questions. I said I was going to turn around and I'm going to ask, or I'm going to uh, have a question that Jesus asked to us today. And it comes out of uh, Matthew 15. So Matthew 15, 32. This is Jesus who has just finished three days of teaching to people on the hillside. And he's just finished with that. And this is what he says. He calls the disciples over to him and he says this. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and he said... I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. Jesus, in this moment, called his friends over and he's pointing and saying, this is something that touches my heart. This is something that's important to me. He's opening up his heart and he's knocking now what are the disciples going to do? Listen to verse 33. The disciples replied, And where would we get enough food out here in the wilderness for all of them to eat? Now the amazing thing about this moment is, a few chapters before, Jesus fed 5,000 people. This is happening again. None of the disciples step up and say, Wait a minute, he just did this. We can do this. The first response out of their mouths are, yeah, um, I don't know if you're clued in, Jesus, but there's not a Wawa open at this point in time here. You're going to have to find something else. Disbelief, can somebody else do it? We really shouldn't be the ones doing it at this moment. But listen to the question Jesus asked them, and this is the question Jesus is asking us. Verse 34. How many loaves of bread do you have? It's a crazy question. In other words, Jesus is saying to us, what's in your hand? He's saying to the disciples, what do you have 
What do you have in this moment? What's in the basket? When Jesus comes and knocks on our hearts, in essence, he's saying, what's in your hand? I want you to get involved. There are times in our life when we will, sometimes supernaturally, grind to a halt. And all motivation kind of leaves our life and we kind of sit in the doldrums and kind of drift. We pray for God to bring something. And we sit around sometimes and wait for God to knock on the door. When we could say, or when Jesus often says to us, what's in your hand? What could you be doing now with the talents that you have? A lot of times that stuns us or brings us to a part like, I don't really know how to get involved. I'm not sure what to do. But Jesus is saying, what's in your hand? When Jesus comes knocking, when you hear of something that Jesus is pointing his finger at and saying to you, this concerns me or this interests me over here and I want you to get involved, nine times out of 10 or even maybe 100% of the time, we will not have everything that's required for that moment. There is a reason for this. It's because there is a gap. It's called the God gap, I call it, where our, what our talents can do and what is required, there is a moment where God has to step in. Why are we surprised when this comes across us? We already know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. If God brings something across our path that doesn't require any involvement of God, what need is there for faith? Why are we surprised as people when God brings something across to us and we're like, yeah, I'm not qualified for that. I've never led a Bible study. I don't know how to do that. I don't know that I can do this. Do you know that when, and I've told you this before, but... When God came knocking on Michelle and my heart for Orangewood uh, to be the drama teachers, I had never taught before, but I had been in drama. In that moment, God was knocking on our hearts and saying, what's in your hand? What do you have in the basket? And I hold up, well, I've done drama, but I've never taught before. I was freaked out momentarily. <laughs> There was a huge gap where, I, where what I thought I could do and what was required seemed very, very far apart. But I and Michelle and I truly believe God was in it, and he was. Let me show you something. Uh, in Judges, Gideon was crouching in a hole at the, at the moment that Israel needed someone to stand up. Jesus says, the Lord says to Gideon, go in the strength that you have. I am sending you. Go in the strength you have. In essence, he's saying, go with what's in your hand. I'm going to do the rest. Go in the strength that you have. Jesus is knocking right now. Here's the thing. Here's the challenge. In this current season, with this crazy stuff that's going on, it's actually pushing us apart rather than bringing us, bringing us together. But we as people of God cannot let this stop us from loving on people. Jesus is still knocking. Jesus is still asking us to get involved. Let me give us three quick ways how we can short-circuit Jesus, open, or uh, us opening the door and letting Jesus come in. 
And the first way is this. We are living in a society now, especially in America, where it is very me-centered. It's very centered on me. What do I want? When do I need it? It's happening, all of us. And look at Amazon. I can order something today and get it tomorrow. But if it's not perfectly right, I'm sending it back. What about when you go out to eat? If this pasta isn't as spicy as I thought it should be, I'm sending it back. If this isn't right, if I'm not happy, I'm going to say something about it. Now, you may say, yes, but I paid for this product. Shouldn't I be especially happy? But here's what's underneath all of it. We are starting to cultivate a feeling of not being content. Everything is always has to be perfect. It's underneath everything now. And it's very me-centered. And how this is affecting us is it's bleeding into God asking us to get involved because we want things to be perfect before we get involved. If it doesn't sit perfectly with my, with my schedule, I'm sorry, I can't help this time. I'm not willing to sacrifice. If it doesn't fall perfectly in my fall break or my summer season or this vacation time, I can't really help. It has to be perfect. And it's keeping us from getting involved. But let me just say this. Remember who, the, who it is that's coming to us and knocking. Remember that Jesus is the King of Kings. Every knee is going to bow to this name. He loves us so much. But there is a temptation or there is a... The pendulum is swung where Jesus is our buddy he is our friend, but he also is our king. And remember, Jesus doesn't talk to hear himself talk, and he usually doesn't ask. Do you remember that story about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was really a small part in the role, right? The only thing we know about Zacchaeus was he was short, and he was a tax collector, so people didn't like him. And one day, he climbed up in a tree, and he wanted to see Jesus walking by. So Jesus walked by, get in a front row seat, and Jesus looked up at him and stopped and said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I want to have dinner with you tonight. Now in that moment, in that moment, Zacchaeus could have very well said, I'm okay up here. I think I'm good. But what happened next was Jesus took him home, saved his family, and things changed for Zacchaeus because he stepped into the story. But notice that Jesus wasn't asking him to get out of the tree. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to go and we're going to have dinner together. Jesus didn't ask Gideon. He said, I am sending you. Jesus didn't ask Moses. He said, I will be with you, and I want you to go and stand before Pharaoh. And when Jesus comes and knocks on your heart, he's not really asking. He's not saying, if you got time, or if this fits into your comfort level, he's saying, I want you to get involved. What do you think Gideon would have said years later, after his moment of crouching? Do you think he would have decided differently to not have gotten involved? There is a moment of stepping out that causes us all a lot of fear. But Jesus doesn't ask because he's not going to provide. He asks and he, doesn't, he knows that we're not going to have everything we need, and that's precisely where he wants us. Because he's going to do the rest. Second is, it's very human. It's very human to hit the staples button. 
the easy button. That's human. We want to do this. We want the easiest way for any problem. And a lot of times, there's nothing wrong with that. But when God comes knocking, or God starts uh, talking to your heart about a situation, it is not uncommon for us to say, what is the easiest thing I can do in this so that I can still check the box and I can still feel like I got involved? Our intentions are good, but a lot of times either fear or schedule keeps us from getting involved more. So we write a check. Not bad. We stuff it in the envelope and we stuff it in the offering box for that family. But is it possible that God wants us to do more for that situation? What about that family across town that doesn't have food or they just lost their, uh, their, their father or mother just lost their job? Well, we give them a gift card. Check the box. That's good. But is Jesus asking us to do more? There is something inside of us that will protect us and hit the easy button if we allow it. Now, I'm not saying that writing a check is bad or that sending that gift card is always bad, but do we ever take the moment to stop and say, are you wanting me to get involved more? Do you want me to step out? And lastly, we talked about early on where we walk into a, a live theater and we tear the ticket, we sit in the seat, and we suspend our disbelief. That's the only way really to enjoy a theater show. But why is it? Why is it? Why can't we have the same mindset when we come to Jesus and we get involved with the Christian life and God tears our ticket and we walk into the theater, why can't we suspend our disbelief? Why do we fight God so much and ask him to reveal himself over and over and over again, please prove yourself here, 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 and not step out in faith? Nobody wants to, when we go to a, a, movie, sh uh, a movie or a theater show, to sit beside that guy who constantly pokes holes in the story or look looks for plot holes or I'm not quite sure I believe that moment or yeah, I can see the zipper in that costume. That's a little silly or they're really not drinking whiskey on stage. I bet that's iced tea. <laughs> Nobody wants to be near that. We want to go for the journey, for the adventure. In the same way, Jesus is looking for people to suspend their disbelief and get involved. To look at a picture and say, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but I am sure of the writer's character. He's proven himself time and time again in here, and he's proven it in our life. And I'm going to take that step. Folks, Jesus has written our names on his hand. He keeps our tears in a bottle. He is wildly in love with us. And he's asking us to get involved in the story. And who knows? Who knows what part we could play? It might be a Rahab part, small, or it could be a tentpole character. We could have something huge. Who knows when you get involved, when you take that first step, when you create something, or there is a need and you start something, it doesn't go from bigger, 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 and it starts from there. How about William Wilberforce? Remember him? Way back in the 1800s? He started to speak out against slavery in England. Look where that took him. How about Harriet Tubman? Over here, leading slaves to freedom. Look where that started. She led one, and from there, it grew. Jesus is knocking at this very moment on our hearts. Who knows that today or tomorrow, after this message, 
He's going to bring in something, and he wants us to get involved. I encourage all of us to take one step and say, God, do you want me to get involved? Here's what's in my hand. Here's what I can do. I know that you'll make up the rest. And he will. And I tell you, if your Christian life is boring, you're not getting involved. If you get involved with God, it will not be boring. I promise you that. It'll be scary at times, but you will see miracles and you will see lives transformed if you get involved. Pray about that. All right, that's my message. I love you guys. I'm standing here in an empty space at the church, and I'm fairly certain that we're going to be back here pretty soon. So I love you guys. We will see you soon. Have a great Sunday.